And I know it's gonna be WNHH FM's Just In Time Conversation. I'm your host, Justin Farmer, inviting you to be in community with us about ideas that matter with people making a difference. Today, our guest is Abby Anderson, founder of the Justice Walk. Thank you for coming to the studio on this somewhat weatherly, wonderful day. <laughs> It's really exciting to be here, Justin. I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, you know, I I know we've been corresponding for some time, and so I I always love to you know you had a great thought. Um, you know, I am passionate uh, about you know the four seasons, and so you know. My hot take is New England is not New England, uh, and, and there needs to be more snow. Um, where are you on the snow? Are you pro-snow, anti-snow, less snow? I, I am definitely pro-snow, pro uh, and uh, I think my hot take is Connecticut needs to stop acting like it's one of the Carolinas. Um, you know, it's like everybody in Connecticut is personally affronted when it snows. Um, so it's, it's always confused me. I've lived here 25 years and it still confuses me why nobody has snow tires. Schools don't budget for snow days. Towns don't have budgets for like salt or snow. It's, it's confusing. Listen, I, 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 I have, I am on the verge of seasonal snow depression. <laughs> because of the lack of snow, not because of too much snow. No, no, the lack of snow. We, Got we, it. So, so I, I'm very excited. I, I know a little bit about the Justice Walk, um, but you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you transitioned from you being Abby Anderson that I know from Two Gen to the Justice Walk. Yeah. So. I mean, it's 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 a little bit of a long story, but the short version is, um, you know, I am uh, for those of people listening, I'm a I'm a middle aged white lady. Um, I have a middle class background, and uh, as as is pretty typical for nonprofit executive directors, and I was a executive director at the Connecticut Justice Alliance for for quite a while, and there was. Um, it, it took a while, but there was an awakening process of, you know, I had always thought of myself as as one of the quote unquote good ones, right? And and more and more over time, recognizing in that um, without having a focused racial equity analysis and being bold and upfront about that, uh, you couldn't really move the needle systemically on on justice work. Now that isn't to say that we didn't do. That the alliance didn't get, didn't do good things and get good things done, right? But I personally, right, I, I was recognizing that um, there were ways where I was really just upholding white supremacy culture in my individual leadership and and what I was looking for in terms of organizational leadership as well. So it was a real process internally um, 
for me reckoning, but then the organization as a whole was actually going through a reckoning as well as we did some work with girls and young women about having their voices really infused into public policy around juvenile justice. And what they told us in partnership with like CCA and these other groups that we were doing um, some research around was that they didn't have a voice or a choice in anything that happened to them, whether they were in education or child welfare or juvenile justice, decisions were made about and for them without anybody asking them. And so we knew that our advocacy was going to be, hey, no matter where you are in the system, organization, individual, foster parent, judge, school district, you have to ask the kid what they need. And they have to be part of the decision making. And, and then it was like, oh, we don't do that as an organization, right? We don't have young people at our table. We don't have formerly system involved folks at our table in any meaningful way. And so working on really making that shift and making that transition over time um, to really evolve the organization so that young people um, and you know people with uh, first or secondhand system involvement were at the table as full partners. Um, and so that experience for me, you know, and then it, it was time for me to step aside in, in leadership. Um, and there are absolutely incredible leaders there and looking at, okay, so what's my next step? And one of the things that where the justice walk came from was me really trying to be a resource that I needed and, and couldn't find during that evolutionary process. And I don't work exclusively with white people. But my focus is really on being that that peer to peer uh, look for folks of like, okay, there are there are things that we need to get in. Uh, I, I was at a conference once and heard, uh, go get your cousins, right? In terms of like, you got to go talk to your people, whether that means you know whether you're LGBTQ community, whatever it is, right? You got to go talk to your people and get them in line. Um, and so that's really sort of how I think of it. How can I be there? Um, because I've been in the shoes of folks who are like, I am totally freaking out. I think I'm doing everything wrong, right? Being able to be there and be like, okay, so what are we gonna do about it? And yeah, this is scary and hard. It absolutely is. I can't, I can't, can't change that, but I can, I can walk with you. I can uh, affirm and validate that this is really hard. Um, and I say this to folks all the time. I say, I don't mean this um, snarky or sarcastic, but it sounds like you're really struggling. And I have to say, congratulations. Because if you weren't really struggling, you wouldn't actually be doing the work um, because this work is hard. And if you're finding internal and external conflict um, and, and if it's going slowly and you're, you're getting pushback, means you're actually changing. No, I, I, I appreciate um, what you've done, what you are doing. I, um, I you know, I, I went to undoing racism training not too long ago. And I, I think one of the things that we all struggle with is our learning edges. And so, you know, this idea of having someone to help Sherpa um, is definitely uh, appealing to me uh, in the sense of how do you figure out all these different things and how do you have these dialogues? Um, I, so I, I guess for some people who may um, not be versed in the language, you know, how, how do you feel this work shows up in policy and how do you feel that this work 
shows up in the interpersonal dynamics. Um, how, as you shepherd people through, how do you kind of see the examples that exist and then work with people through things, right? Yeah, so um, this is a great question and uh, it, I'm fairly certain it was unintentional, but boy, did you just give me a fantastic interpersonal example, right? So you just use the term um, that I'm, I'm sort of serving as a Sherpa, mm -hmm. right? And I don't know the answer to this. And I say this to, to people I work with all the time, that might be cultural appropriation. I don't know mm -hmm. if it's appropriate for you and I, who are people who are not from Nepal, to refer to each other as Sherpas. I'm not sure, but so this is a great example, right? Of interpersonally to be able to say to the people I'm working with, let's pause for a second, because mm -hmm. that might be a thing that we have bought, brought into our language that actually isn't okay. And, and that might be something that, that we need to think about. And, and what are other things that we say all the time that we don't even recognize are, are um, things that we have stolen? From, from other cultures and have made to mean something that, that they don't actually mean. Um, so that would be an interpersonal, and like, I'm not sure, right? Let's go Google it and be like, is that something that 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 is okay for non-Nepalese people to talk about? Um, but it's, 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 a, it's a learning, right? Um, so that's one of the things. And I think um, when you look at how it shows up on a policy level, Man, one of the things that I really ascribe to is there is an institute out of Berkeley called the Othering and Belonging Institute. And the man in charge of that, or he would probably hate that. Um, the person who leads that effort is a man named John A. Powell. And he really frames othering and belonging, right? So where are we othering and where are we belonging? And where are we pushing those things both in our, our interpersonal dynamics and in our, um, in our in our our policy level, our systemic engagements, and I think so. I think about that, and when John A. Powell was eulogizing Bell Hooks, he talked about what he really loved about Bell is that she was hard on systems and institutions, and yeah. soft on people. And one of the things that you know, white dominant culture really focuses on individualism. Right, and we're always looking for individuals to solve what are systemic problems, right? So like we have food deserts, so it's impossible for a lot of people to get healthy food. And yet if we have a diabetes issue, the solution is for, well, let's teach people in poor communities how to cook vegetables. It's like, well, that's insulting on a bunch of levels because they can't get vegetables and they're expensive and right. Um, so how this shows up systemically is like, okay, so like, what are your, one of the things I, I'll look at sometimes is what are you, what are your employee handbooks say, right? How are your, how are your employee handbooks um, looking at and treating employees, right? And assuming if you look at a lot of uh, employee handbooks, I mean, they were set up in an adversarial way, right? The thinking is, you don't want to be here. You're going to try to um, to steal my time. You don't really want to be. So, so they're set up as, well, this is our attendance policy, and this is what you can do with our property, and this is, right, you're, you have to take your lunch between this time and this time. And, um, and so how are we 
how are we setting up systems of, of belonging versus you're different, you have to do this other thing. I'm the boss, so I get to do whatever I want. You're the employee, so you have to take lunch between you know this time and this time. And then systemically, it's that you know at an even higher level of policy, we have created in groups and out groups um, who gets resources, who doesn't get resources. Um, I think actually today is is equal pay day, right? It's the day that um, women and and that's only white women to be very clear, right? That's the day that white women earn the same as men. And um, so and and those are those are systemic issues, right? Around who gets what and who doesn't. For those of y'all who are just joining us, you're listening to Just in Time Conversations on WNHHFM 103.5. I'm your host, Justin Farmer, with our guest, Abby Anderson of the Justice Walk. Um, I, I think something that you, you know, you mentioned, right? Um, culture, right? Culture is important and, and, and culture appropriation culture in terms of, of how it integrates into our workplace, whether it be policies or procedures. Um, it is Women's History Month, right? Um, and so highlighting uh, uh, people like Bell Hooks, uh, who uh, is a favorite in the sense of, you know, really, really being hard on the systems uh, but finding ways to to create connection interpersonally. Um, how how do we better right talk about the isms and and, and how they show up in in the work and and show up in our policy? Um, and, and is there a right way, right? Um, just from your perspective. <laughs> Um, I love these kinds of questions, Justin. So like, how do we solve the isms? Do you have the answer, Abby? Um, so, and is there one right way to do it? Um, all I can tell you is, is, is my experience. And I think, um, when you look at, for me, one of the big unlockings, I have to give a big shout out to my friend, um, Allah Oshimare, who is my co-facilitator and, and, uh, pal. Um, and we, we do some workshops together. And she introduced me to the work of Bobby Harrow, um, another Black woman, uh, and her cycle of socialization. And when it was really brought home to me on, we are, we all, we all behave the way we have been trained to behave, right? We all are socialized into this, for us, an American culture, right? This is how things work. This is what we're taught to believe. Um, and just looking at how all of the messages that we get from family, from our faith communities, from schools, what we're taught, what we're not taught about American history or, or world history, right? That that shapes how we think about things. And so really being able to take a look and think, wait, is that, what am I thinking? My actions are reflecting something that I believe. Do I actually believe that? Do I still want to believe that? Is that something I want to unlearn? Um, and so I think 
so for me, that really goes along with this being hard on systems and institutions and soft on people, right? Recognizing that people are acting out of the way they have been trained and socialized to behave. Is that, a, does that mean we don't hold them accountable? Absolutely not, right? But what does accountability look like in the, in that context, right? So an example I like to use, Justin, is I have been an athlete since I was nine years old and I am a woman. And, you know, I, I was growing up in Western New York. I was a soccer player. That was weird. There weren't girls programs. There weren't, you know, so I always played with boys. And actually my first introduction to, to policy advocacy um, was my dad and I pushing that there would be a girls soccer program before I graduated from high school, right? I, I haven't wow. gotten to play the last couple of years because I've been dealing with an injury, but I, I've been, you know, continuing to play and be an athlete my whole life. I tell that story in the context of I was doing a crossword puzzle embarrassingly recently ago, like within the last two, three years. And the clue was LA baller. And the answer, it was five letters. And so obviously it was Laker and, and Laker didn't fit because one of the um, intersecting words I was a hundred percent sure of. And it made me so frustrated. I went to bed and it wasn't until the next morning where I realized the answer was spark because women play sports too. Wow. So deeply socialized into me of who gets to be in those spaces or not, even as a female athlete, right? I was still hanging on to that that way of thinking. And so I use that for myself a lot to remind myself how I interact with other people, even when they are in moments of like doing something that's problematic or, or perpetuating an ism, right? Of like, are, and, and are they acting out of conscious thought? Are they acting out of habits and behaviors? Now, impact over intent all day, every day, right? That doesn't mean we don't address the impact. Of, of what happened, but how do we think about what does that look like? And, and I also believe just last week, I learned um, the platinum rule, which is not um, the golden rule, right? Treat others as you wanna be treated. The platinum rule, treat others as they want to be treated. So what works to unlock some of these isms for me might not work for somebody else, right? And so that to me is the is the meeting people where they are, right? Not diluting the message, not diluting truth, but recognizing what is your entree into these conversations and how do we humanize everybody? I think I might've uh, diverted a little bit there. No, so I'm not sure I answered your question I, or not. No, 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 <laughs> I, I think you did, which is right, like, there's a lot to, that goes into figuring out how to have these conversations and, and, and where to have these conversations. Um, as I looked at your website, um, you know, you mentioned that you do equity audits. And so I, words have meanings, right? And I'm yes. sure I can put it together, right? Oh, I think I know what this means. Uh, uh, but I, I remember watching um, Dorothy Roberts talk about race-based medicine. And I was just like, I know what this means. And you're putting a critique. And I thought I was so smart and so brilliant. And then Sam broke down what it is and how it works. And I was like, oh, 
<laughs> I did not think about this in this context. I'm like, okay, this is why you're a scholar. So right. what is what is an equity audit, right? For us, like what, what sure. do these words mean to you? I, I love that you talk about words um, having meaning because um, I, I am I am going to answer your question, but I am going to divert really quickly, okay. which is, um, you know, one of the things that happens so often and one of the things I've experienced myself, both from being a person in the chair of trying to figure out equity and unlearn and, and learn, which is a lifelong process, right? Um, but also from like being a coach or, coach or consultant is just how frequently we get into conflict um, with each other because we haven't defined terms, right? Mm -hmm. So like, so a great example is, is community agreements, right? Which are sort of falling out of favor now, not in terms of let's not develop how we're going to interact with each other. But if we have a community agreement that says we're going to treat each other with respect, what respect means to me and what respect means to you can be two very different things, right? So like, I happen to be from a more Midwestern culture where like, if something goes wrong, we're not going to mention it to you, right? Because we don't want to be rude, right? I know other people are, so that would be me respecting you. I know folks from other cultures where like, it would be disrespectful not to mention it, right? But so if you and I haven't talked about how we define respect, we're going to end up being, we could end up being really angry at each other and both feeling like, but I did what you asked me to. I treated you respectfully and I don't understand what's going on here, right? I've also been in groups where we didn't define equity, right? Yeah. And people had different ideas of what that meant, right? So really, really good point of, can we define our terms here? Um, and so for me, what that means is a way of, of letting people know I can take an overview at some of your documents, right? Employee handbooks are a great example of let me, I can take a look at your employee handbook and go through it from an equity, accessibility, inclusion, and belonging lens to, to look at things. And, and it's the kind of things like, oh, all of your paid ho vacations are holidays, are Christian holidays. Um, there's not anything, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily mean any, but who is in your organization? Do you have one or two floating holidays? Do you have enough people in your organization that Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah really should be, should Eid be, um, you know, within, how are you looking at, at these things and, and who's part of your organization? Um, you know, one that's interesting that I was just looking at a couple of weeks ago is bereavement leave. You know, a yeah. lot of bereavement leaves are, are very prescriptive, right? If a parent or a child, somebody in your immediate family, it's four days, right? But if, if your aunt or uncle dies, it's one day. And, but what if my best friend dies, right? Where's that? Or also like, what if, what if I don't have a relationship with my parents and I was raised by my aunt and uncle? You know, like, why is my employer defining what my grief looks like based on, on that relationship, right? And so how do you make something that's, that's more inclusive, that's more, um, trusting, right? You know what you need and we're going to meet your needs as, as the person in our room. So employee handbooks are, are a thing that, that we can look at. I also, um, you know, I, I tend to work with the nonprofits. Um, so take, taking a look at the bylaws, right? How, how are your bylaws set up? What do, what do they look like? 
Um, are there things that you can do to write into your bylaws? Things like um, term limits, right? Mm. How long are people at the table and what does that look like? What does turnover look like? Uh, I've worked with a, a community foundation where we took a look at their scholarship and grant application policies, right? Have you allowed people to apply by audio or video uh, versus mm. writing? Not everybody is good at writing. Um, and that doesn't mean they're not brilliant and they don't have you know, great ideas. Um, please stop asking the sustainability question. This is right out of Vule from Nonprofit AF, right? They're nonprofits. They're not going to be sustainable unless you keep funding them or you get your friends to fund them, right? But that's that's not how nonprofits work. So please stop asking that question, right? So um, it's basically taking a look at the at the internal policies of the organization and giving some recommendations about what does this look like to, to shift um, in practice and then leading to larger conversations about culture, right? No, I, I, I appreciate the, the examples and I, I, um, I, I, I think something that, that you said, right? Like just learning what questions to ask can come out of out of this process. Um, I w one thing that I I right one question I always think about is what how how does a person belong right and and what does belonging mean um, and, and so you know we all interact with systems and institutions and so. That varies, but what, in your sense, does belonging mean, right? How, if you were going to articulate to people what belonging is? Yeah, it's it's a great question. So uh, this is one of the things I like to use a lot. I like to use this in workshops that we do, um, is to ask people, right? Where, when is a time where you felt you belonged? Right. When is the time? And and so I'm actually gonna gonna turn the table and I'm I'm gonna ask you. I'll give my example first. Um, but I will. I was um, fortunate enough to to be um, somebody who went to college and in those first six weeks, like I was, I was a mess. Like I called home crying every day. Like I was just I was a mess. And um, but I found this group of friends. From the from the very beginning, and and there was like five of us that started like just sort of moving along, um, in a in a group, and and two of them were roommates that lived a few doors down from me, and I was was right around dinner time one night, and I was sitting on my bed studying, and and I heard them leave their room, and I heard one of them say to the other, "Hang on, where's Abby? Like we can't go to dinner without Abby." And the feeling I was like, "Oh, they want me like." I belong with them. They consider me as part of this, like an integral part of what that is. And that's what I think of, of, of belonging. I am somebody who um, is a part of things, whose needs are considered, who is thought of even when I'm not there. Um, do you have an example of when I you can think of belonging? I, I do, and, and it's somewhat controversial in the sense that back in 2015, I went to Russia 
Um, and so with the conflict right now between Russia and Ukraine and, and, and seeing the things that the Russian state is doing, um, it's very painful to, to watch and see because my personal experience, uh, this was in the midst of, you know, the height of the beginning of Black Lives Matter. Uh, I had been stopped by police that year, probably something crazy dumb, like nine times, 10 times, and had just been processing what it means to be Black and have Tourette's and figuring out all these things. And so it was very weird to go to a very, very white country to randomly not know the language, not know many people, and to have by the end of the trip people go like, oh, we don't want to go to the bar because Justin can't come because he doesn't like noise. Or, oh, you know, he just randomly cursed, but that's fine because that's his condition. And just kind of having a, a holistic acceptance that I have not quite seen or experienced in the same way again, which to the point of like what it means to, to belong, right? As I think about conflict now, it's like, wow, how do we, belonging can mean very different things for many different people. And so it's something that, it's a question for me. I'm like, oh, that was the weirdest place. Cause if you would have asked me where I would have felt I most belong, until I had that experience, that would have never been the answer. <laughs> well, and and I love that. I love that story because what it a because I'm I'm thrilled that you had that experience, right? So that you know that that is that is a way that people can behave and do behave, um, and that that you are worthy of that. And also, it also highlights for me this isn't that hard. It just isn't, right? So one of the, if when people who work with me will tell you, I have some things that I say all the time. And one of them is, we'll ask them. And that's something I actually learned from Ileana Pujols, um, who's at the Alliance now, because we would be talking about what, what the justice advisors need, right? And those um, were the young people um, centered at, at the organization. And like, we'll just ask them, just ask them. You know, like, what time should we have the meeting? Like, well, why don't we ask them? What the the people you were with did was ask you what you needed, right? And then met that need. And it, you know, it's like, okay, so we didn't go to the bar net last, that night. We did something different and it was fine, right? Um, so being in relationship with folks, being in community with folks, and I think there's the pushback of like, but well, we have to have like one way of doing things at our organization. We can't ask everybody, what if their needs, you know, like um, are different? Like most of the time people want to be treated with dignity and respect, right? So like you have your headphones on, it doesn't impact my life, right? I don't have to wear them. I can just, you know, I can, I can, it's like, meeting your needs doesn't really have an impact on me, right? Or it doesn't have an impact on me that is meaningful, right? There are things about, um, you know, I was just reading something the other day that's that's relevant because a lot of 
like organizations, there's still that sense of we're going to do our fundraiser at a brewery or at a distillery, or we're going to, you know, there's a winery. And there's a lot of people who don't drink alcohol for a ton of different reasons, right? So maybe let's not do that, right? And does that maybe mean that there's there's a bar over to one side if people really need alcohol at your event? Okay, maybe, but not making it a, a precursor, right? Not making it where um, after a meeting, the board chair and the executive director go to the bar and make some important decisions um, because they like to grab a beer together. There's nothing wrong with grabbing a beer together, but that's not where your decisions for the organization need to be. Right. And so how do you open things up so that you're just asking people within the organization, what do you need to understand that we care about you? Thanks. Now, uh, for y'all who are joining us now, you are listening to Just In Time Conversations, WNHHFM 103.5. I'm your host, Justin Farmer, with Abby Anderson of the Justice Walk. Um, you know, we were just talking about you know, experiences of belonging. Um, and, and, and so one thing I constantly think about organizing is what is power, right? Um, and, and the longer that I am in quotation leadership positions, how do you empower people, right? How do you allow them to have the agency and make decisions and be supported and making those decisions that have effects over other people. So like what, in your mind, what is power, right? Because it's always a more, like we say power, we usually mean position, but what is power? And then how do you, how can we empower people? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna flag um, another like, like words having meaning, right? Of like, Am I empowering somebody or am I knocking off the disempowering that I've been doing, right? Do people inherently have power that we are standing in the way of? Um, there are certainly people who have been systemically disempowered and disinvested in, right? Um, and so how do we stop doing that so that people have the ability to fully step into the power that they inherently have? Um, power to me, means having agency over your own life, over your own decisions, right? Having the ability to, to guide and lead what you know is best for you and then being able to, to act upon that, right? And so there are so many ways in which we are given messages, or right? I'll go back to the socialization, right? About what power we have, but bigger than that, I think what power we should have Right. I gave the example earlier of how deeply ingrained misogyny is within me as a woman. Right. What are the beliefs I have about what power I even should hold or should be able to make in my in my own life? Right. And so I think there's a lot of conversations around how do we how do we stop and think about what what um, what power means to us? and what that looks like and what we believe our power should be over other people, right? I mean, so we started this conversation with um, the fact that I was a, a, 
a nonprofit executive director, right? Total cliche, right? A middle, middle-class white lady as a nonprofit executive director. Because the socialization, and I have a, a Christian background, the socialization for, for white women, especially within Christianity, you know, you got to go save the world. It's your job to go save the world. You have the power to go save the world. You have the intellect to save the world. Um, and frankly, you know best, right? And so does that mean that every white woman who's an executive director is problematic and doing a bad thing? No, that's not what I'm saying, right? Um, but it is interrogating what is my role? What am I doing here? Where is it? What power do I have? Where is it appropriate for me to wield that power? What are the ways I can wield that power um, in total collaboration and co-conspiratorialness um, with folks who maybe have been kept at a distance from that power? And, and how can, can I make those moves? How do we shift power? I think it is by all of the things, right? There isn't one right answer to this, right? It's community organizing, it's policy work, it's individual within our organizations, um, within our family structures, with how we parent, with how we talk to young people, with how we treat our elders, right? There are um, as many ways to address power imbalances as there are jobs and roles and, and people, ways that we are interacting, right? Because because disempowerment shows up in so many different ways. The great thing is there's there's infinite number of ways that undoing that can show up, right? And some people, right, I'm an introvert. I'm not the one that's gonna be out um, at every uh, rally on the weekend, right? And, and with tons of people in crowds, but I'm really good at writing the press release to get people out. I'm really good, right? We need the people to make the sandwiches as much as we need the people to be to be out in the street, right? Um, so I think that's that's something that's that's always really important. And then I think it's it's being able to do the analysis. Who have we decided? Where is the power in our organizations, right? And a lot of nonprofits, it's at the board, it's at the board level, it's at the executive director level. How how have we imagined that power is one person? right? That there's the tip of the spear. How do we have more um, shared power structures, right? How does, what does that look like? And, and how do we do that? And I think it's being willing to bring imagination into the, into the conversation and being willing to break down some of the, um, I always say, if there is a, this is how we've always done it, interrogate the heck out of that. Like just in, the interrogate the heck out of that. Uh, absolutely. But even thing is something as, as sort of ubiquitous as Robert's rules of order, right? Who was Robert? When did he develop his rules? It was well over a hundred years ago and Robert was a wealthy white man, just throwing it out there. Now, again, just because a wealthy white man came up with the rules doesn't mean they're inherently bad. It, but let's interrogate them. Do these rules, um, make space for women? Do they make space for, for um, underrepresented populations, right? If I have a board of 12 people and we get three Black people on the board, do they actually have the power to make anything happen? Or are they always going to be outvoted by the nine? Because then the, it doesn't, these rules aren't helpful in this situation, right? Um, so looking at where power comes from now, how power is wielded now, and saying, does it have space? Or belonging, or is it inherently othering? Um, 
no, that that is that is definitely um, a, a way of thinking, and and I, uh, you know, I hear gatekeeping in my head, right, where we yes. all have the ability to, to open to, the gate or shut it hard, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, I, I think one of the things that I often think about uh, in leadership is accountability, right? And so I think, as you pointed out earlier, Western culture, we focus on individuals, um, but our institutions, right, are made up of individuals, and they also move in their own way. And so, you know, are there different approaches to holding institutions accountable versus persons? And how, you know, how do you kind of help people through that thinking of like, how do I hold this individual accountable? in an institution or how do I hold this institution accountable? And I'm sure it's situational of like when you do which one, but like how how do you do that, right? Because that's the thing I'm also like, should I talk to Bill or do I so bring this to the board? <laughs> I, I love this question. I love this question. And and um it's one of the things right where just about everything is a both and, right? There's very rarely a one a one right answer. I would I would talk to Bill and I would go after the institution, right? If, um, and and it's and, and as you said, it's it's situational. But I'm going to circle back, right, to bell hooks and and being soft on people and and hard on institutions and and systems, right? So maybe this is my hot take, but institutions and systems aren't people, so they can't be othered. Right. I'm fine with othering the holy heck out of institutions and systems. Right. I'm going to put them on full blast. Uh, I'm going to try really hard not to blast individuals. Right. Because um, and this so here's here's a hot take and here's something that I am personally really, really um, in the in the in the hard part of having to consciously do the work every day um, is not othering other people, right? So in the same way that the death penalty becomes a slippery slope, if you believe in the death penalty, you've now decided that it's okay to kill some people. Where then does that stop, right? If I am okay with othering any human, I have now made it okay to other any human, right? And so it's looking at, so the, the example I've been using lately um, is I used to have this sticker on my refrigerator that just had a, a bird on it. And it said, I poop on racists. I was like, that's so funny. Ha, ha, ha. And then I was like, oh, crap, literally. I'm othering racists, right? Now I'm not saying, oh, poor racists. What I am saying is I'm dehumanizing a person. Mm-hmm. And how do I stop dehumanizing? How can I hold people accountable how can I say this isn't an okay thing that you're doing? Your racism isn't okay. And I still see your humanity. Right. Mm. That is that's a hard, that's a hard thing to do. And I believe 
that I can recognize other people's humanity while still not being okay with any of their behaviors or things that they're saying, right? But as soon as I say, well, that person's a monster, they're, they're not a monster. They are a human that is doing monstrous things. And we need to, to stop that, right? But um, if I do it, I can't yell at other people for doing it, right? Just because what I would, I agree with the person they're dehumanizing, right? And, and, and that's hard work, but I think that is this, the thing of what are the systems doing? Individuals are acting out of systems and uh, within organizations, right? Whatever the, you know, bank uh, shareholders and board members um, are, are doing things within the way that we have set up our banking and regulation system that is incentivizing them to act, right? And so individuals need to be held accountable, but individuals are not where we're going to solve problems, right? On capitalism? Uh, no, we I mean, yeah. I mean, the answer, the answer to the criminal legal system in the in the state, right, isn't to remove one or two judges that we think are making bad decisions and then everything will be fine, right? This this is the bad, the bad apple thing, right? It's it's not about one bad apple. It's the systems are working exactly how they were designed to work. So the the individuals within them need to be held accountable, but the bigger accountability needs to be at the systemic levels themselves. Mm-hmm. And those I, are hard experiences. You no, know, I I I I I completely agree. I um as we near the end of our time, I I'm always just like, man, how has it been an hour? All right. Um, where do we find you? How do people connect with you? How can people, right, um, uh, be in communication with you to talk sure. through these important things? Yeah. So you can find me at my website, thejusticewalk.com. I am pretty active on LinkedIn at Abby Anderson. Um, and you can email me at thejusticewalk at, at gmail.com. Um, I think it's, it's, I would love just for people to know that I'm pretty open. The one-on-one conversations are, are things I really like. And then um, also being able to do some coaching, but I, I talk about it as coaching slash consulting, right? Because coaching is pretty much only asking questions and not really giving advice. And I, I can do that. And then I know there are times when it's like, okay, but I don't know how to get directly impacted people at the table. If I knew how to do it, I'd be doing it. What do I do? Um, and so being able to give some specifics as well. And favorite question I always ask, a song that connects us to you, connects us to the movement. I knew you were going to ask this question and I'm just... I'm more of a uh, like a Miles Davis, John Coltrane kind of a kind of a person. So let's say uh, sketches sketches from Spain from uh, Miles Davis. Hey, well, thank you for connecting with us today on Just in Time Conversations, WNHHFM one hundred three point five. Uh, thank you so much, Abby, for for being in community with us. Uh, I'm your host, Justin Farmer. Until next time. Let's continue to plant the seeds of change so we can grow together.